For God's sake, let us sit upon the ground and tell sad stories of the deaths of kings, how some have been deposed, some slain in war. I me, I see the ruin of my house. The tiger now hath seized the gentle hind. Insulting tyranny begins to jut upon the innocent and aweless throne. What is a man? Sure he made us with such large discourse, looking before and after, gave us not that capability and godlike reason to fust in us unused. O oh, my dear father, restoration hang thy medicine on my lips, and let this kiss repair those violent harms that my two sisters have in thy reverence made. I am a king that find thee, and I know, tis not the balm, the scepter and the ball, the sword, the mace, the crown imperial, the throne he sits on, nor the pomp that beats on the high shore of the world. This is the mighty history of the British Empire, a people living on a tiny island in the North Atlantic Ocean, built an empire that circled the earth and brought freedom and education to languishing millions. This empire was blessed by Almighty God and one of his best educated teachers, William Shakespeare. Shakespeare has educated some of the greatest leaders of all time, such as Abraham Lincoln and Winston Churchill. We shall never surrender. Our troubled world needs a fresh crew of nation-building leaders. Are you ready to step up to the challenge? Welcome to the exciting classroom of Shakespeare's Royal Education with host Dennis Leap. Well, greetings, everyone. Welcome back to Shakespeare's Royal Education. And now I, I have a comment. I am so thankful that I have this comment. Uh, but uh, just be patient because it's a long comment. And it says, uh, Hi, JBL. Since you have been calling for comments, I thought I would sit down and write one. First off, I would like to express my thanks for your spending the time out of your busy schedule to produce this program for us. I get very excited when I see a new podcast has been added. It goes a long way to brightening my day. While I was listening to your program today, King Lear and the Duke of Gloucester are banished by their children part two. I couldn't help but think about how the dysfunctional families in King Lear parallel our present day family problems. And I'm really glad, who, who, now this is uh, Michaela from Pennsylvania. So I'm really glad you caught that because that's what I've been trying to get across to everybody, that King Lear is very current. It says, more and more fathers are being banished from the family and children are growing up selfish and angry. It reminded me of 2 Timothy 3.3, 3, where it is prophesied that there would be a lack of familial love and affection, especially in the time we live in today. And, of course, I've already talked about that on the radio as well in this in this program. Shakespeare did a masterful job of showing that fathers who, like King Lear, give up their leadership position in their families and children who aren't properly taught and disciplined are some of the core problems that lead to the family breakdown and eventually the destruction of nations. I like to think that Shakespeare used Lear's kingdom as a metaphor a father is the king of his household. When Lear gave up his kingship and wanted to split the control to his three daughters, he essentially was handing the reins of power to children 
and taking a back seat. All sorts of issues began arising, not only with his relationship with his own daughters, but others in society also suffered due to his tyrannical children. Doesn't that sound like something of the curses we are experiencing in Western nations today? I'd have to answer a big yes on that. uh, McKenna continues, please continue to keep up the good work. It's very appreciated in this household. So thank you for that. And uh, we are going to be proceeding now with with, um, more of King Lear. And I'm I'm kind of breaking it up in pieces. Uh, I don't want to just uh, uh, maybe try and run through the whole play at the same time. And uh, but but I'm trying to give you bits and pieces that will just help you to understand it better. Now, on our last two programs, and uh, again, we'll be, uh, I'm trying to get two programs together. We don't tape them the same day, but so that they link each other and then we can kind of get the, get the flow a little better. But on our last two programs, I discussed how the Duke of Cornwall, Regan, Goneril, and Edmund worked together to banish their fathers into a ferocious storm. And uh, it's horrible you know, what happened there. But, uh, you know, those things are, as Michaela says, those things are happening in our society. There's a lot of patricide out there. Uh, there's a lot of matricide out there. There's a lot of fratricide out there. You know, people are killing each other all the time. Now, for today's program, I want to begin discussing how Lear and Gloucester's faithful children, and that's Edgar and Cordelia, work to rescue and reinstate their fathers. So this would be more of the positive side, uh, what happens. But also you have to realize that uh, before the end of the play, it's going to be very sad for for at least for Cordelia. And uh, actually Edgar uh, moves into a, a quite a positive and uh, an unexpected position. So maybe that'll just spark your interest all right i'd like to just review a little bit from the last two programs and again i think this is good this is what i would do in my classroom and so i know someone told me recently they were they really consider it someone was visiting for celtic throne and they said we really appreciate that when you call us your students so you are my students even though you may not see me but that's that's not a bad thing for you anyway all right so here's here's the review so last time, or the last two times, in Act 3, Scene 3, Gloucester makes a critical mistake and reveals to Edmund he has knowledge of the civil war brewing between the dukes and that a foreign power will intervene. So Gloucester here, he's, he's been uh, conditioned by Edmund to believe Edmund above his naturally born uh, son, Edgar. And remember, Edmund is the the illegitimate son, and so he is actually uh, hornswoggled, I guess I could say it that way, Edgar, and uh, has him out running wild in the woods because he thinks that his father is going to kill him. Anyway, uh, so so Gloucester has so much pride and he has so much uh, love for his illegitimate son that uh, he just listens to everything he says. Now, in Act 3, Scene 5, Cornwall vows revenge against Gloucester to his son Edmund, whom he has betrayed uh, his father by showing Cornwall a letter that proves that Gloucester's secret support of a French invasion by the King of France and Cordelia. 
So, so Cornwall is, uh, if you really look at it, Cornwall is the guy really stirring up the Civil War with Albany. And uh, um, Edmund really wants to kind of curry his favor. So he shows Cornwall the letter that proves that Gloucester's secret support of a French invasion by the King of France and Cordelia. And so, so uh, Gloucester is, uh, is uh, really in big trouble after that. Now, uh, in the same scene, the same act and scene, Edmund pretends to be horrified at the discovery of his father's treason, but he is actually delighted since the powerful Cornwall, now his ally, confers upon him the title of Earl of Gloucester. So you can see how corrupt uh, you know, this, this uh, society is. And, uh, of course, Lear at one point thought that Cornwall and Albany were, were worth their weight, and he gave them each a crown to help rule in England, and it just wasn't—it just wasn't the truth. Now, what also in this uh, summary, just this little summary, is Cornwall sends Edmund to find Gloucester, and Edmund reasons to himself that he can, if he can catch his father in the act of helping Lear, Cornwall's suspicions will be confirmed, and so so he's really really working hard to to uh, get rid of his father. Uh, he wants the estate. He wants the money. And uh, he really thinks that Cornwall is going to make this all work for him. Now, for today's program, that's all, all the summary. Help keep you up to speed. Uh, you can also go back and, uh, and listen to, to the, the last two programs as well. Now, for today's program, I want to begin in Act 3, Scene 4. We're still uh, in Act 3. Um, there's still a lot into this this act and these scenes that are really important. So we're going to go to page 72 to start. And w- one of the things is is uh, we have to remember is, remember there's this, there's this tyrannic storm um, happening uh, outside. And, and Lear, you know, got so fed up with, with his daughter Goneril, he just took off. And uh, he was supposedly on his way to to Regan's house, but uh, Goneril uh, sent a letter to her sister and says, "Get out of the house, so you don't have to put him in your house." So they all end up at Gloucester's house, and uh, uh, I think you can probably remember that from from what we talked about last time. But but if if we're we're going to go to page seventy two, and uh, we're going to start just right at the at the top of the scene. Here we have uh, who's entering is we have Lear. Kent disguised and the fool, and and in some ways, what I want you really to see is how loving and loyal both Kent and Gloucester are to Lear, because Kent is out there now trying to help him, uh, you know, withstand the storm, and but also Kent knows that Lear is really mentally on the edge because of what his daughters have done. And so he's not only trying to save him from the storm, he's trying to save him from descending deeper into madness. And uh, it's, it's uh, uh, as we'll go through this, you'll see that uh, that's, that's not going to change much. So uh, we'll just start there on, uh, this is Act 3, Scene 4, Line 1, and, and Kent is, the, is opening the, 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 the act. He says, Here is the place, my lord. Good, my lord, enter. 
the tyranny of the open night's too rough for nature to endure. And so, so essentially what happens is Kent goes out, he finds Lear, he finds where he is, and he tries to get him indoors. And there's like this little hut, or you could call it a hovel, where he says, look, let, let's get in there. Uh, we can get out of the, the rough weather and, uh, you know, this will help us to, well, endure. And of course, he's not saying everything he wants to say. It's not only to endure the storm, but he wants him not to go nuts. <laughs> and, uh, he's, he's really not going to be able to, to do that. But Lear goes on to say, let me alone. And Kent says, good, my lord, enter here. And Lear says, wilt break my heart. And, and that, that line, you could just, uh, you have to remember, he is absolutely upset by what his daughters have done to him, except for Cordelia. He's really upset with what Goneril and Reagan have done to him and that they don't want him to have knights. They don't want him to, to live the lifestyle that actually he said to them in public that he was going to divide the family, I mean, divide the, the whole kingdom up among the family, and what he wanted was to be able to come and visit his daughters and with a hundred knights. And they said, no, you can't even have one if you don't. Well, I think they did finally say, well, you can have one. And so, so that's, that's really has him, his, um, ups, he's, he's really upset. And he said, so look, I don't want to hide. You know, he's, he, he, I think Lear at this point is just trying to grasp at all what's going on with, with his daughters. And he said, look, if I hide out from them, it'll break my heart. And Kent said, I'd rather break mine own. Good, my lord, enter. And then Lear says to him, thou thinkest tis must that this is contentious storm invades us to the skin? So tis to thee. And so, so he, he's saying to him, look, uh, it's not like this storm is going to drown me. Uh, you know, it, it's not, it's not the best thing, but you know, it's not going to hurt me. But he goes on to say, but where the greater malady is fixed, the lesser is scarce felt. Thou shouldst shun a bear, but if thy flight lay toward the roaring sea, thou meets the bear in the mouth when the mind's free. And so what he's trying to tell him is, hey, this storm isn't a problem for me. It's what's going on in my mind is the problem. And he said, look, if you're out and, uh, you know, you're at the roaring sea, you know, that's different. He said, if you meet a bear and you punch the bear in the mouth, that's different. <laughs> he said, the body is delicate, but the tempest in my mind doth from my senses take all feeling else save what beats there. And, and here's what's really bothering him is filial ingratitude. That's what he's coping with. He could care less about the storm. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it's really... Uh, to me, it's it's just a genius of Shakespeare to uh, to read this. He said, "It's not as this mouth should tear this hand for lifting food to it, but I will punish home. No, I will weep no more in such a night to shut me out. Pour on, I will endure." So, so he's saying, "Okay, shut me out, kick me out, pour it on, I'll endure." <laughs> and so he said, "In such a night as this, O Reagan, Goneril." Your old kind father, whose frank heart gave all, oh, that way madness lies. Let me shun that. No more of that. 
And so, so he's saying, look, I'm trying to resolve this. Uh, I'm really trying to resolve this in my mind. How can I deal with this? How can I deal with getting, you know, here I'm, I was the king. I gave them everything and now they're just, they just shut me out. You know, go ahead, put him in the storm, lock the door. And so, uh, Ken says, good, my lord, enter here. And, and so, so, uh, you know, he said, look, we've, we've got a place where we're going to keep you dry. Just enter here. And Lear goes on to say, prithee, go in thyself, seek thine own ease. This tempest will not give me leave to ponder on things would hurt me more, but I'll go in. And so he said, okay, you know, I'm trying to work this out of my mind. That's what's really bothering me. But look, if you want me to go in, I'll go in. And then he looks to the fool, and this is Lear. He's still not like quite over the edge yet. He's on the edge. But he looks at the fool and he says, in boy, go first. Your houseless poverty may get in, get the in. I'll pray and then I'll sleep. So here Lear, in some ways, uh, you know, he can look like a wild character. But here he's got a real fondness for the fool. And he said, look, fool, get in there. You know, you, you go in first. And so, so that's, that's really important. Now, in line, line 30, we're going to get into, we're, we should be, you should be on page 73 by now, by the way. And so we're now at line 30. So essentially what you see there is the, the full exits. He goes into the hovel. But then Lear, I think here is, is, uh, he's really, he's really struggling in his mind. He's really struggling with where he is. He's really, st- struggling and 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 i would think as a king he's thinking what have i done and what have i done to myself but but if you notice here it's a there's a part of lear that you may not see if you if you read over this too quickly but but here's what he does the fool goes and uh and and i think if i'm correct here that this is the last time we see the fool in the play he just disappears and for some reason shakespeare wrote him out of the play but here, Lear is talking out loud, and, and we have to remember, Ken is still there. But he's, they're now inside this hovel, and he sees all these other poor people inside with them. And, and uh, he says, poor naked wretches, wheresoe'er you are, that by the pelting of this pitiless storm, how sure your household's heads and unfed sides, your looped and windowed raggedness defend you from seasons such as these. Oh, I have taken too little care of this. And so what, what he's saying is, as a king, I never paid any attention to the poor. I never paid any attention to these wretches. And unfortunately, that's exactly what's going on in America today. I mean, the people in government could care less about anybody except themselves. And, uh, you know, it's just, uh, you know, what's going on in Hawaii you know, they try and get, uh, you know, the current president, or as uh, sometimes Mr. Stephen Flurry says, the fake president. He, he's not interested in, in helping anybody there. And there's a, lot to, there's a lot to be exposed yet of what's happening in Hawaii. And, uh, you know, it, it's, really, it's really very, very upsetting. And, uh, you know, there's going to be probably a thousand or more that are dead, that they, they, they can't even find them because their bodies have been so burnt, there's just ashes. And so, uh, um, 
it is what's really, you know, it's really bad what's happening. And then uh, I heard recently there was another fire in Hawaii. And so so there is some concern that, uh, you know, that these people that are anti-population you know, growth are actually starting the fires to, you know, get people off the island. And then also that so they can take over and build their own own estates. <laughs> so so uh, there's a lot going on out there, and I'm not pretending to to be the, the, the best guy on uh, updated on the news. I have a lot of other things to, to focus on. But, but he's, he goes on to say, Oh, I have taken too little care of this. Take physic, pomp, expose thyself to feel what wretches feel, that thou mayest shake the superflux to them and show the heavens more just. So he's saying, Look, I, I'm really sorry. I've never felt what wretches feel until now I'm in the storm. So now I feel what's going on, and it's terrible. Then Edgar, uh, who is in there now, remember Edgar is is uh, poor Tom, and he's inside there, and he says, fathom in half, fathom in half, poor Tom. And so so it's, it's uh, you know, Edgar is still trying to hide himself, by the way, uh, because obviously he knew King Lear, and, uh, you know, so obviously King Lear knew of him, but, but he's still playing poor Tom. Then the fool enters, and he says, Come not in here, nuncle. Here's a spirit. Help me, help me. So the fool comes out of the hovel and said, There's, a, there's an evil spirit in there. And essentially he's talking about uh, Edgar, who is playing poor Tom. Ken says, Give me your hand. Who's there? And then a fool says, a spirit, a spirit. He says his name's poor Tom. And then Kent goes on to say, what art thou that dost us grumble there in the straw? Come forth. And there's Edgar then comes out as Tom O'Bellum. And Edgar says, away, the foul fiend follows me. Through the sharp hawthorn blow the winds. Hmm, go to thy bed and warm thee. So what Edgar is saying is, look, He's got a demon following him. Now, he's just acting, but he's saying, I've got a demon. There's a foul spirit following me. And, uh, 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 you know, it, it's just, um, he's really, he's really a good actor, uh, not just for Shakespeare, but, but the, the, the character Edgar is a good actor, uh, in front of Lear. Then Lear says to him, he says, well, did you give, did you give all to your daughters? And are you the come to this? And so, so Edgar obviously has a a sense of uh, royalty. He's he's got a sense of being the son of Gloucester, and you can't hide that real well. I mean, you you can't do that. And uh, uh, Edgar says, "Who gives anything to poor Tom, whom the foul fiend hath led through fire and through flame, through ford and whirlpool, over the bog and the quagmire?" that hath laid knives under his pillow, halters in his pew, set rats bane by his porridge, made him proud of heart to ride on a bay-trotting horse over four-inch bridges, to course his own shadow for a traitor, bless thy five wits. And so, so essentially, Edgar's lying. He's saying, look, you know, uh, this is what's happening to me. It says, uh, you know, I'm not any, anyone special. You know, essentially all these, all these little statements refer to suicide. And he said, he's actually telling him, it's like I'm suicidal. You know, he said, uh, someone lays knives under my pillow so I can, sh- you know, so I can, uh, uh, kill myself. 
or someone sets rat's bane, which is rat's poison, there is porridge, so he'll get poisoned to death. Um, uh, anyway, the whole the whole expression there are five wits. Uh, that that's what the the Renaissance theories of intelligence that everyone has five wits. Uh, sometimes I feel like I only have one, but anyway. Uh, then uh, then Edgar goes back into Tom's a cold. O d d do d do d, and it says bless thee from the whirlwind star blasting, and uh, he says star blasting actually is like malignant stars. And uh, how they knew about malignant stars back at the time of Shakespeare, I don't know. Uh, but but it's also like an infection. He says, look, I'm infected. Do poor Tom some charity, whom the foul fiend vexes. There could I have him now, and there, and there, again, and there. And so it's just down to gibberish now. So then then Lear actually says this, and this is this is where Shakespeare's showing that as we go through the scene, Lear is descending into madness. It's over and over again. So, so uh, Lear uh, leans over to the fool and says, Has his daughters brought him to this pass? Couldst thou save nothing? Wouldst thou give him all? So Lear says, This guy, poor Tom, did his daughters do this to him? <laughs> so, so you've got to see that that's all that's on Lear's mind right now is the daughters that did this to him. And the fool says then, he says, nay, he reserved a blanket, else we had been all shamed. So, so in other words, he's almost naked, you know, and he said, but he's got a blanket, so he's, we're saved. Lear says, now all the plagues that in the pendulous air hang faded over men's faults light on thy daughters. <laughs> and so he still can't get it that this guy, Poor Tom doesn't have any daughters, and then Kent finally looks at him. He says, "He has no daughters, sir." And so, so uh, uh, it, it's just you can just see he's going down and down and down. And then Lear says, "Death traitor! Nothing could have subdued nature to such a lowness but his unkind daughters. It is the fashion that discarded fathers should have thus little money on their flesh. Judicious punishment twas this flesh begot those." pelican daughters so he cannot get off the daughters and now he calls them pelicans and if you if you really research this out is baby pelicans will suck the blood out of their mothers they're cannibalistic the baby pelicans and so so uh um you know that's what i mean shakespeare understood this and so um uh, i'm going to skip that we're going to skip line 77 there it's it's uh it's a, a sexual innuendo we don't need to talk about. He says, this cold night will turn us all to fools and madmen. That's what the fool says. <laughs> yeah, it's going to. Then Edgar says, take heed, of the, oh, the foul fiend. Obey your parents. Keep your words justice. Swear not. Commit not with man's sworn spouse. Set not thy sweetheart on proud array. Tom's a cold. So in some ways, he's he's revealing also himself he's, he's kind of getting a little bit i think uh, repentant of he says look obey your parents so he's even edgar is trying to figure out how did he get here how did he get to this place and uh lear said what hast thou been and uh th th these verses i think i'm gonna let you read them read them to yourselves but when you get into uh let's say verse 85 get through uh, 85 and you go through 92 
Edgar is actually confessing his sins. And what he's saying, I was a serving man, I was proud in heart and mind, that curled my hair, wore gloves in my cap, served the lust of my mistress's heart. And so, so he goes off then is, is, you know, he was raised with, you know, all the nice stuff. And, but then as he got older, uh, he started, uh, uh, doing things he shouldn't be doing. And, uh, so he talks about his lust. He talks about how much he loved wine and how much he loved women. And, and I'll let you read that for yourself, but, but he gets into this, this big confession thing. And so, so he is all distraught as well because he doesn't understand why he is in the position he's in. And so uh, if you just skip down to line 102, this is page 76, by the way. It says, Thou were better in a grave than to answer with thy uncovered body this extremity of the skies. <laughs> so, so Lears looks at him and says, You're naked, buddy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> do you consider that? He said, uh, and, and then Lear says, Is man no more than this? And he's, he's, he's trying to grasp everything. Now he's almost getting spiritual himself. What's man's all about? You know, why are we here? And again, that's a big question that a lot of people ask. Why are we put on earth? And again, uh, the head of, of our church here, uh, Mr. Gerald Flurry, he was, uh, he went to Ambassador College under Mr. Herbert Armstrong. Mr. Armstrong wrote a book, wonderful book called Mystery of the Ages that explains all that. Why we're here. Why is there human beings? What, what's, what's the purpose? And there is a purpose to life and it's not taught in schools. A lot of parents don't understand it. A lot of religions don't understand it, but there is an incredible purpose to human life. And it's not my place to, to discuss it here. But you have to have a, you have to think in your mind when, you know, I've studied a lot of Shakespeare, what was on his mind that he's asking these questions? And he's asking it through these people, these, these uh, characters he's created. Um, he, he goes on to say, is man no more than this? Consider him well. Thou owest the worm no silk, the beast no hide, the sheep no wool, the cat no perfume. Ha, here's three ons are are sophisticated. Thou art the thing itself. Unaccommodated, man is no more than just a poor, bare, forked animal, and thou art. Off, off, you lendings, come unbutton here. So, so, see, Lear, again, he, Shakespeare is showing us he's descending further and deeper and deeper into madness. And now he says, you're a forked animal, and off, off, lendings, come unbutton here. So essentially what, what, uh, happens in the play is Lear starts to unbutton. <laughs> in other words, he's just like poor Tom. That's what he's, that's what he's going for. Now, when you see the play, it, it, it doesn't happen. And even poor Tom is, is dressed. I wouldn't say decently, but he's still dressed. Anyway, uh, it's, it's hard to convey some of this, uh, you know, when you're just on the radio. But it, the fool says, prithee, knuckle, be contented. Tis a naughty night to swim in. <laughs> so, so there the fool says, what are you going to do? Go swimming? <laughs> that's, that's Shakespeare humor. It's, it's really hilarious. He says, now a little fire in the wild field were like an old lecher's heart, a small spark, all the rest on body cold. Look, here comes a walking fire. And so, so essentially, 
where we're going now in this scene is remember Gloucester is is uh, concerned about Lear. If you go back to to earlier in the in the the series, you know Gloucester gets really concerned that that Lear got kicked out. You know he's he said he's going to go f- try and find him. So so at this point, uh, when Gloucester shows up here, he has not had his eyes cut out yet, and so he just he just left home you know, to find him. And if you go back and study the scenes that we talked about last time, you're going to see that he's he just gone. And, and uh, you know, but here he enters with a torch. And Edgar said, this is a foul flibberty gibbet. He begins a curfew and walks till the first cock. He gives the web and the pin, squints the eye and makes the hair lip. Mildews the white wheat and hurts the poor creature of earth. And uh, uh, I'll skip the rest there. It's just more of, of, uh, poor Tom and his uh, little poems. And then Kent says, how fares your grace? And so, so Kent is really concerned about him. And then Lear says, what's he? Who's there? What does you seek? And, and he says, Gloucester says, where are you there? Your names. And so, so Gloucester has showed up. He's found them. And then, then uh, can you imagine what this is doing to Edgar now that you know his father has shown up? So he's not only got King Lear, now he's got his father. And so Edgar says, Poor Tom, that eats the swimming frog, the toad, the tadpole, the wall, the wall newt, and the water that in the fury of his heart, when the foul fiend rages, eats cow dung for salads, swallows the old rat and the ditch dog, drinks the green mantle of the standing pool, who is whipped from, from uh, tithing to tithing, and stock punished and imprisoned, who had three suits to his back and six shirts to his body. So so Edgar is really, really laying on the axe so that Gloucester doesn't figure out who he is. And he's telling everybody he eats old rats, uh, he, he eats the ditch dog, he doesn't do any of that. <laughs> so, so horse to ride and weapons to wear, but mice and rats and such small deer have been Tom's food for seven long years. It's not true. So he's still trying to hide himself. He goes on to say, Beware my follower, peace, smokin' peace, thou fiend. And then, then uh, we go on, then Gloucester says, What hath your grace no better company? And so, so Gloucester's a little bit, he's not related uh, to, to this whole situation. He's not really in, focused in yet. Then Edgar says, The prince of darkness is a gentleman. Modo he's called, and Mahu. So, so here he's, he's talking about Satan the devil. He says, Oh, he's a gentleman. And Gloucester says, Our flesh and blood, my lord, has grown so vile that it doth hate what gets it. And then Edgar says again, Poor Tom's a cold. And then Gloucester says, Go in with me. My duty cannot suffer to obey in all your daughter's hard commands, though their injunction be to bar my doors and let this tyrannous knife take hold upon you. Yet I have ventured to come seek you uh, out and bring you where both fire and food is ready. And so Gloucester says, look, I'm here. I'm here to get you out of this. And Lear says, first let me talk with this philosopher. What is the cause of thunder? And so so you can see now that Lear is actually going down fast. He's saying, look, let me talk with this philosopher. And then Kent says, good, my lord, take his offer, go into the house. Lear says, I'll I'll talk a word with this same learned thespian. Uh, What is your study? So now, a Thebian, I'm sorry, not a Thesbian. 
It's, uh, it's Thespian is uh, for Shakespeare. Uh, anyway, Edgar says, how to prevent the fiend and to kill vermin. So, so um, you know, they're saying, look, here's this learned, learned uh, Theban. What's your study? And he says, how to prevent, uh, how to prevent the fiend and to kill vermin. Let me ask you one more word in private. Kent says, importune him once we, once more to go, my lord. His wits begin to unsettle. And Gloucester says, can't thou blame him? And of course, the storm is still raging outside. His daughters seek his death. And so, so this is why Gloucester's there. He now knows that there's a plot for his daughters to kill him, to kill Lear. And he said, his daughters seek his death. Ah, that good Kent. He said it would be thus. Poor banished man, thou sayest the king grows mad. I tell thee, friend, I am almost mad myself. I had a son, now outlawed from my blood. He sought my life. But lately, very late, I loved him, friend. No father his son dearer. True to tell thee, the griefs has crazed my wits. What's a night this? I do beseech your grace. So, so one of the things that Shakespeare does here is genius is he now ties Gloucester and Lear together that they're both going mad. They're both going under. And 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 Gloucester is beginning to think, Well, I've lost a son. He was dear to he was dearer to me. But I'm I'm wondering if he's not beginning uh of course this is just a, a play, but if Shakespeare hasn't trying to build Gloucester now he's wondering, okay, who was the really the better son? You know, that's what's going on. I mean, it, if you, it makes sense if you think about it. Lear's mumbling over his daughters. It only makes fe- sense that Gloucester uh, would Lear uh, would, uh, you know, kind of mull over his sons. And and I'm going to do another program just on, there's one scene, I think it's the best scene in the whole play, where Gloucester and Lear finally get together and they talk about what they both experienced. And so so they really are close. But Lear goes on to say, Oh, cry you mercy, sir, noble philosopher, your company. And so now Lear is looking at, at Edgar and he's saying, Wow, noble philosopher, your company. So what's, what's really going on here now is what Lear is thinking of doing is putting his daughters on trial. <laughs> That's what's coming here. And then, uh, uh, he said, Come on. Uh, Edgar, you're a philosopher. And he says, Tom's the cold. Gloucester says, in fellow there into the hovel, keep thee warm. So Gloucester now uh, puts Tom back in the in the hovel. Lear says, come, let's in all. So they go in. And, and Kent says, this way, my lord. Lear then says, with him, I'll keep still with my philosopher. And then Kent says, good, my lord, soothe him. Let him take the fellow. Gloucester, take him, you on. And Kent says, Sarah, come on, go along with us. Lear, come on, good Athenian. Gloucester says, no words, no words, hush. And then Edgar comes out with his end. Child Roland to the dark tower came. His word was still, fee fi fo fum. I smell the blood of a Britishman. <laughs> so, so they're all crazy. They're all going crazy right now. So, so uh, anyway, the, the the point is, is as much as as Kent wants to really help him. Um, uh, do not go mad. Lear is really going down. Gloucester, um, he, he hurries, he finds them. He, uh, he, he, he left the scene at one point 
to go get provisions for for them all. But then once he finds out that the uh, you know that the, his daughters want to kill him, he comes back and, and does all that. And so so uh, um, let's now go to Act Four, Scene One. And so uh, we'll come back to the scene where. <clears throat> They're, they're, where Lear puts his daughters on trial. It's really hilarious. And again, it's it's really sad in a way as well. Now let's go to Act 4, Scene 1. And this is this is actually, um, it's all about Edgar. And Edgar is kind of bemusing himself, or he's upset that his life is so bad right now. And uh, it, this is page 91, by the way. And essentially this scene opens up with... with uh, Edgar, he's not acting as poor Tom, but he's actually rationally analyzing his poverty-stricken situation. And uh, then he, he gets the real opportunity to help his father. And uh, so, so it's, it's really an important scene. It says, um, Edgar says, this is uh, page 91, line one at the bottom of the page, yet better thus and known to be contemned than to be contemned and flattered, to be worse the lowest and most dejected thing in fortune stands still in esperance, lives not in fear. Now, the word esperance means hope. And so, so you can see he's, he's out of the poor Tom thing, and he's beginning to really analyze. And, and I think he's, he's even beginning to see that, you know, if, if he can deal with the situation he's in, there's got to still be hope for him. In other words, it's, it's, it's not the worst it's not like he's going to be killed, and uh, th- that's what he's saying. That there is there is a kind of a a spark of hope there. It says the lamentable change. This is page ninety two. The lamentable change is from the best. The worst returns to laughter. Welcome them, thou unsubstantial air that I embrace. The rest that thou hast blown unto the worst owes nothing to thy blasts. And so so essentially what he's saying there after looking at Lear. And after seeing Lear, what Lear is going through, the loss of his daughters, what's he's, you know, here's the king, you know, crawling around in a hovel. He's saying, my situation isn't as bad as I thought. And so, so here's a young man that can come to himself. And, uh, by the end of the play, we'll see that he probably is the one that comes out on top. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> so, so they're, they're actually out of the, the hovel now. Um, and and uh, in the middle of this scene, it says, "Enter Gloucester and an old man." So so remember now, um, Gloucester went to Brian for provisions. He found out there was there was going to be, um, you know, they were, they were going to execute him. And then then obviously Gloucester goes back, and when he goes back is when they put out his eyes, and so he's now he's blind. And and so enter Gloucester and an old man, and then there is uh, at. Uh, Edgar's there, he says, but who comes here? My father, poorly led, world, world, oh world, but that thy strange mutations make us hate thee. Life would not yield to age. So he's saying, well, we have to hate the world. Look what's going, let's look what's going on in this world. And, you know, in some ways, uh, it's not so bad to hate the world if it's so evil. I mean, you got to go, uh, you know, find out well, why did God create the world? Why do we, why are we in this situation? There's answers for all of that. And you just have to know where to go get the answers. The old man says, Oh, my good Lord, I have been 
uh, your tenant and your father's tenant these four score years. So now it's interesting. The old man can see Edgar as Edgar. His father can't see him. And so, so, uh, the, the old man is saying, well, here's your father. So, so here in all this calamity, the, the, the Edgar now has a chance to really help his father. And he's, he's blind. He says, Gloucester says, away, get thee away, good friend, be gone. Thy comforts can do me no good at all. Thee, they may hurt. And, and Gloucester is telling the old man, look, uh, you better get away from me. You know, this is dangerous. This is a dangerous environment. And, uh, uh, the old man says, you cannot see your way. And Gloucester says, I have no way and therefore want no eyes. I stumbled when I saw full of it to seen our means secure us and our mere defects prove our commodities. So that is an incredible line. And, and Gloucester now is going through the same series of repentance. He said, look, when I saw, I stumbled. And he said, I can't see now. And, and he says, Oh, dear son Edgar, the food of thy abused father's wrath, might I but live to see thee in my touch, I'd say I had eyes again. And so, so Gloucester is finally realizing there's something wrong. There's something wrong with Edmund. Uh, they put his eyes out. Remember, he, he went back to get provisions for King Lear, and he comes out. He's, he's blind. They banished him to the storm blind. I mean, he, this guy is in bad straits. And, uh, you know, then Edgar noticed that, that, that he goes down. This is line, uh, 22, 23, 24, line 27 down on page 92. Edgar turns aside. He says, Oh gods, who is it can say I am at the worst? I am worse than ever I was. And, uh, um, you know, it's like he sees his dad now with no eyes, and he thought he was having trouble. He said, man, this is just unbelievable. And the old man says, "'Tis poor mad Tom. And Edgar says, "'And worse I may be yet, the worst is not, so long as we can say this is the worst.'" And the old man says, "'Fellow, where goest?' Gloucester says, "'Is it a beggar man?' The old man says, madman and beggar too. Gloucester says, he has some reason, else he would not beg. I, the last night storm I saw, I such a fellow saw, which made me think a man a worm. My son came then into my mind, and yet my mind was then scarce friends with him. I have heard more since, as flies to wanton boys are we to the gods. They kill us for their sport. And so... Gloucester is changing his attitude about, um, you know, worshiping the gods. He says, yeah, they treat us like flies. They, <laughs> they kill us. And, uh, Edgar says aside, how should this be? Bad is the trade that must play full to sorrow, arguing itself and others. Bless thee, master. Gloucester goes on to say, he said, is that the naked fellow? Old man, I, my lord. Gloucester says, Then prithee get thee gone, for my sake, thou wilt overtake us hence a mile or twain. I, the way toward Dover, do it for ancient love, and bring some covering for this naked soul, which I'll entreat to lead me. And the old man says, Alack, sir, he is mad. And Gloucester says, Tis the time's plague when man, madman, lead the blind. Do as I bid thee, or rather do thy pleasure, above the rest be gone. 
Old man says, I'll bring him the best peril, uh, that he means a peril that I have. Come on, that will. And then uh, he, the old man leaves, and he was really the servant of Gloucester anyway. And then Gloucester says, Sarah, a naked fellow. And Edgar says, poor Tom's a cold. I cannot daub it further. Gloucester says, come here, their fellow. And then Edgar is really going through this. He said, should I still pretend I'm Tom's a cold? Should I tell him who I am? You know, he's, he's really going through all this in his mind. And uh, he said, should I just leave him? And he says, and yet I must, bless thy sweet eyes, they bleed. And Gloucester says, knowest thou the way to Dover? And Edgar says, both style and gate, horseway and footpath, poor Tom hath been scared out of his good wits, bless thee, good man's son, from thy foul fiend. Five fiends have been in poor Tom at once, of lust, as a, a, a bit of cut, Hobbidence, Prince of Dumbness, Maho of Stealing, Modo of Murder, Fibberty Gibbet of Mopping and Mowing, who since possesses chambermaids and waiting women, so bless thee, Master. So essentially what, what Edgar is saying is, yeah, I've had five demons working with me to go out and do all these horrible acts, uh, you know, with women and chambermaids and, and uh, you know, living the wildlife. And so that's not that far off. You know, uh, it, it generally, uh, when we get into bad things, some demon may have led people to do it. Especially when you see all these uh, mass shootings. That's got to be demonic. I mean, how could someone go into a store and just start shooting people if, if some demon isn't uh, uh, promoting that? Gloucester says, here, take this purse. Thou whom the heaven's plagues have humbled to all strokes, that I am wretched makes thee the happier. So Gloucester is now giving money to his son. Heaven still so still, let the superless and lusty dieted man that slaves your ordinance that will not see because he does not feel, feel your power quickly, so distribution should do undo excess, and each man have enough. Dost thou know Dover? And Edgar says, I master. And he says, Gloucester says, there is a cliff whose high and bending head looks fearfully in the confined deep. But me, bring me but to the very brim of it, and I'll repair the misery thou dost bear with something rich about me from the place I shall no leading need. And he says, uh, Edgar says, give me thy arm, poor Tom shall lead thee. And so, so, so the point there. I think it, what's really interesting is is uh, Gloucester knows that he's had some trouble in, in doing things. And, uh, you know, now the, the reason he wants to go to Dover is not so much to save Lear as he wants to commit suicide. He wants to jump off the cliff of Dover. And the, the, the point is there, um, he's with his son now. And his son is not going to let that happen. And so, so the, the point is, here you have it. Edmund betrayed his father. And now here in this, in, in the, this section of the play, we really see that, that now Edgar actually has grown up because at the very beginning of the play, all he wanted to do was play sports, like play football and soccer and things like that. But now, now he's he's got more maturity, and now he realizes that that his point now is he's got to help save his father from wanting to commit suicide. And yeah, that's that's 
that's what what uh, is really really going on there. So so it, to me, it's it's just a really really kind of fascinating how you know Shakespeare put all this all this together. And so um, let's go back to uh, Act Three. Act Three, Scene Six, Page Eighty Two. And I'm going to start up here at the top. He says, um, uh, the, the, the fool, right above this line, we're going to start on line 20. But the fool says, he's mad, the trust in the tameness of a wolf, a horse's health, a boy's love, or a whore's oath. Now, that's just the fool. He's always saying stupid things. Now, Lear says, notice, he says, it should be done. I will arraign them straight. So, so remember now, you've got, Kent trying to keep him from going crazy, and now we're at the point where Kent realizes he can't stop it. So now he's going to ar- arraign the daughters. Uh, he's he's going to um, you know put them in in a court, and it's it's all the poor women that are stuck there are going to be have to pretend they're the daughters. And and he said, uh, Lear says uh, to Edgar, it should be done. I will arraign them straight. So he's using Edgar in the court. And he says, come sit here, most learned justice. So so Edgar is now the justice. He's the judge. And then uh, he tells Edgar he's going to put them under, under, um, you know, under a court scene. He's going to, you know, judge them. But then he says to Edgar, some he sit here. Um, he says that to Edgar. Then he says, come sit thou here, most learned justice. And he says that to the fool. <laughs> he says, you're the learned justice. It's, it's a little bit, the, the lines, the way it's written, it's kind of a little, little hard to follow. But he says, thou sapient sir sit here, now you she-foxes. So that's what he calls his daughter, you she-foxes. Look where he stands and glares, what's thou eyes at trowel, madam? And he says, come over the burn. Uh, her boat hath a leak, she must not speak, why she dares not come over to thee. So that's the fool talking to one of these women there in the hovel. Then Edgar says, Thou foul fiend haunts poor Tom in the voice of a nightingale. Hope a cries in Tom's belly for two white herring. Croak not, black angel, I have no food for thee. And then Kent says, How do you, sir, stand, not, stand you not so amazed? Will you lie down and rest upon the cushions? And so Kent says, Look, Lear, King Lear, don't do this. This is a waste of time. Would you just lay down and and rest? You need to rest. And then Lear says to Kent, I'll see their trial first. Bring in the evidence. <laughs> and so so he looks to Edgar. Thou robe man of justice, take thy place. So remember, he's naked, almost naked. <laughs> and he says, Thou the joke fellow of equity, bench by his side, and that's to Kent. You are the you are the commission, sit you too. Then Edgar says, let us deal justly. Sleepest or wakest thou, jolly shepherd, thy sleep be in the corn. And for the blast of thy minikin mouth, thy sheep shall take no harm. Per the cat is gray. So so uh, Edgar is now trying to get him to sleep, to go to bed. And uh, Lear says, arraign her first. Tis Goneril, I here take my oath before this honorable assembly, Kick the poor king, her father. So, so again, now this is just a poor little lady that's been out in the wilderness. She's she's poor, and now she's goneril. <laughs> he makes her goneril, and um, 
And the fool says, come here, the mistress. Is your name Goneril? And Lear says, she cannot deny it. And the fool says, cry your mercy. I, I took you for a joint stool. And then Lear says, here's another whose warped looks proclaim what store her heart is made on. Stop her there. Arms, arms, sword, fire, corruption in the place, false justice, sir. What house thou let, let her escape? So one of the women says, I'm not a part of this. I'm taken off. And, uh, uh, he, he says, get her, you know. And then Edgar says, bless thy five wits. He doesn't have five wits right now. <laughs> That's Lear. And then Kent says, oh, pity, sir. Where is the patience now that you so oft have boasted to retain? And Edgar says, aside, my tears begin to take his part so much they mar my con- counterfeiting. So Edgar is really, really upset for Lear. And, uh, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's really sad. Lear says, the little dogs and all, Trey, Blanche, and Sweet, ere they bark at me. And then Edgar says, Tom will throw his head at them, avaunt you, curs. And so, so it looks like we're getting close to the end of today's program. And so I think that's all I have time for today. And uh, what we'll do is next time we'll come back and finish this courtroom scene. And it is, it is rather hilarious. And uh, uh, then what we'll do is we'll finish Act 4, essentially. And essentially then we'll focus on how Cordelia helps to rescue Lear. And so please write me any comments you may have to comments at kpcg.fm. You can also comment at my Twitter page, Shakespeare's World Education. Thanks for joining me next time as we advance our royal education. You've been listening to Shakespeare's Royal Education on Trumpet Radio. 101.3 KPCG. Streaming online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.